Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia football podcast. I'm Stuart Steele, a sports editor at the Ren Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, the Ren Black Football Beat will look back on the previous week's game and preview the matchup for next week. In this episode, I'll speak to football beat writer John James about Georgia's 26-22 win against Missouri and preview the Georgia-Auburn game with football beat writer Parth Patel. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me, Stu. So yeah, obviously a lot to talk about this week following that close call against Missouri. I first just want to lead, similar to last week, I asked Parth what his concern level was coming off the Kent State game. I'm just going to throw that to you. Where is your concern level from a Georgia perspective following that game against Missouri? I am moderately concerned about the Bulldogs at the moment. It's not something that I think will be a massive problem in the future. I think this team has enough talent to overcome its challenges, and a lot of the challenges are centered around injuries and players not being able to perform up to that level of some of the injured players. But I do think that the performances of the past two weeks have been very lackluster and something that Georgia needs to work on. Yeah, I think two of the biggest areas of concern for me from these last two games are things we've kind of been talking about and the football beat for Georgia has been talking about in general. Um, the offensive line, I'm a little worried about. This week it was mostly a pass protection thing because they were able to run the ball pretty decently down the stretch, but then the defense allowing 22 points in back-to-back weeks is concerning, especially against teams that aren't as talented as the teams they'll be facing down the stretch. So I think those are two big areas of concern, and obviously the dip in play for Stetson Bennett is a little bit of a worry. He's been missing high the last couple of weeks, I feel like, and the offense seems like solvable almost when you can get Brock Bowers kind of out of the game. It's like who else is going to step up and make a play, and without A.D. Mitchell in the game, um, it really is hard to say. Uh, Blaylock made a couple nice catches. Darnell Washington was... I think, the best offensive player on the field for Georgia on Saturday. And then Rosemary Jack Saint as well. But that was all late, and they couldn't do it early, and I'm concerned about that. Well, without AD in the lineup, Georgia's offense has essentially been Ladd, Bowers, and Kenny. And Ladd hasn't been great over the past two weeks. Kenny only had one catch against Missouri, and Bowers didn't touch the ball until the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And that's how you find yourself in that hole where Georgia had to come back from 16-6 to and then 19-9, to and then it just kept piling on, and it felt like Georgia could never build up ground until that fourth quarter where everything just started to click. Yeah, I think the loss of A.D. Mitchell, and basically they've lost Ladd McConkie in a sense because the guy that's been playing the last two weeks on offense is not Ladd McConkie. It's like the husk of Ladd McConkie because he's dropping passes he usually catches. He's fumbling. He's muffing fair catches. He doesn't look like the player that we've seen for the past season and a half, and he's going to have to be the player that we've seen for the last season and a half for Georgia to be the team we expect them to be. So, I mean, I, I still believe Ladd will figure it out, but it, it, it the play he dropped against Missouri was huge, like momentum-wise. It was so early in the game, and Stetson hit him right in the chest. He was in stride. It would have probably been 20-plus yards on the play. And, it, I mean, I think that flips the whole feeling of the game. So I think Ladd is very emblematic of Georgia's mentality right now um, in a way where he just doesn't seem like himself. That Ladd first down uh, would have been the first first down of the game, but he dropped the pass, and that turned it into nothing. And I think that symbol of missed opportunities has come up over and over again for the Bulldogs 
the Kendall Milton fumble was a 35-yard run, which would have kicked off the team with some major momentum, but he fumbled the ball, ruining that first first down, which would be, would have been the second first first down for Georgia. So they just kept falling just short of the finish line for building momentum. Yeah, and then the Stetson-Bennett fumble also was a drive where they had something going, it looked like. To me, it was a very Marcus Mariota-esque fumble where he just messed up a read option exchange, basically. Um, and that was concerning in general. Yeah, but the offense, I think it's it's a good sign. Both of these games that we're seeing as like a big drop-off for Georgia, they still basically doubled their opponents in yardage. So the plays are there. The players are still making the plays. But, I mean, the red zone offense, again, was a concern. They're not able to punch in touchdowns down there, even though they have a threat like a Darnell Washington. They have a theoretically good running game when they get down to the five. They can't punch it in, it seems like. And and they figured it out late with those two one-yard touchdowns. But that red zone offense thing is just, it keeps coming back up. And it's starting to be a thing where Georgia has these quantifiable flaws that we see week to week that last year basically didn't exist beyond the fear that Stetson was going to have a three-pick game at some point. And the reaction when these miscues happen is almost universally, oh my God, Georgia doesn't do this. What is going on? And so I feel like the team either needs to get it together and prove that they are not these mistakes that they keep making, or they need to figure out a way to fix it. Yeah. Well, I think if it happens again against Auburn, I think it suddenly becomes this is just the team that they are. You know, I mean, if it's if they win by four against Auburn, if they lose to Auburn, what separates Georgia from, you know, makes them better than Tennessee or Kentucky or any of those top teams in the SEC besides Bama? And I think there's been this rush to crown Georgia as the next Alabama, even though Alabama is still the current Alabama. Um, and I think it's time to maybe push the brakes a little bit. I'm not saying I don't believe in this program as a whole. I do think they are still kind of the heir apparent in the SEC, but this year's team needs to step up, like you said, and prove it week to week. Georgia fell the number two in the AP poll this week. And in general, I think the AP polls are reactionary. And they are much more extreme week to week than they should be. But I feel like Georgia did not deserve to be number one after two weeks of very subpar performances from the team. Yeah, I agree. I had Georgia in my poll at four. I had... Bama, Ohio State, and Clemson all above them because they've had more impressive performances recently. Clemson just beat the number 10 ranked team in the country pretty convincingly and had that shootout win against Wake Forest. I mean, Georgia is not head and shoulders above any of those teams. I even considered dropping them below Michigan as well, but I just couldn't because the head-to-head last year was so dominant from Georgia. Obviously, it's a different team, though. I mean, it's just it's a tough spot for Georgia right now where The expectations were so high for them, and they're still so high, but they need to figure out a way to get back into the right headspace and almost like start playing like they're hungry again. I I know that's a cliche, but it feels like a thing where Georgia maybe has started to believe in themselves too much, where they think it's just going to happen for them, and it's like you still have to go out and execute. And if the Missouri game isn't a wake-up call, to that point, I thought the Kent State game was already going to be. But if the Missouri game isn't, then I don't know what will be. And it could just be this team is not going to make a deep run this year. 
So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the defensive performances recently. One thing that stood out to me in this game was Keely Ringo was not good, was not his usual self. And I, I know he's ultra talented and I think Keely's a top, top corner, but he had some really bad plays. He got burned deep one time. He had a PI that could have really changed the game in a big spot that was just not a smart play. He had Dan Jackson over the top. Um, what did you see out of the defense as a whole? And uh, how fixable do you think the problems that we're seeing from them in the last two weeks are? The main thing I noticed from the Missouri game was that the explosive plays were on tap for Missouri all throughout the game. They had five plays of 30 or more yards against the Bulldogs, and that's not something that teams have been able to do on Georgia's defense this year. Uh, Kent State had that one 56-yard play, but that was a screen pass, and screen passes are gimmicky by nature. Anyone can execute a screen pass. In the Missouri game, though, those plays were just a guy getting open downfield, and we haven't seen that because Georgia's defensive backs have been very good this season about shutting that down. Yeah, I think maybe the loss of Javon Ballard has had an impact. I think we saw a lot more Tyke Smith last week, and they may get Ballard back going forward. We'll see. But um, also, I think it's interesting to talk about we had kind of labeled this defense as a bend-but-don't-break unit early, even though they were allowing, like, no points. And I think Saturday was an instance of they weren't even that. They were, uh, like, bend-don't-break means make the other team drive the field. You're not giving up 63-yard runs. You're not giving up 46-yard passes if you're bend but don't break. You're trying to make them run as many plays as possible to the point where they'll make a mistake. And if you give a team a 63-yard run and they're down to the one-yard line, you've just given them automatic points unless they give you the ball. And I do think it was admirable, the red zone defense at times, especially the fourth quarter, the defense and the whole team stepped up in the fourth quarter. But there's definitely areas of concern. And again, this is a Missouri offense that isn't that talented relative to Tennessee, relative to Alabama, if we're talking about nationally Georgia trying to get to its goals. So these are concerns that I think, like we're saying with everything today, Georgia has to address and address quick. I asked Kirby about those explosive plays after the game, and he kind of downplayed it as if it's not as big a concern as we're making it out to be. But I definitely think when Georgia gets to facing those high-powered offenses like Florida, like Tennessee, like maybe even Alabama down the road, that explosive plays are something that you cannot have against those teams. I mean, we saw it on Saturday in the Alabama-Arkansas game. Arkansas claws back into that game against Alabama, which is an impossible challenge for most teams. I mean, they were down, I think, 28 to nothing or something like that, and they get it to one-score game, and then suddenly, boom, 70-yard run, boom, 76-yard run, boom, another 70-yard run. The game's over. I mean... You can't have these busts against a team like that, especially Alabama, because Alabama will take care of business against you if you let them. Sports are all about momentum and who's in control at a particular moment. And there are few things in the wide world of athletics that can shift the momentum like a good explosive play. So I'm not all doom and gloom following this game, even though I'm sure it sounds like it to everyone who's listening. The one thing that I think Kirby was talking about and I think that was very clear to see was Georgia did show that response that you want from a team when they're down, when they're playing down to an opponent, that they find a way to win. All championship teams aren't just going to dominate and win every game by 30 points. Uh, Even last year, Georgia lost to Alabama and had to respond. But I think it was good that they faced adversity. I think it's bad the level of adversity they had to face and overcome. But 
I think Kirby was overjoyed with the way they respond. They responded in the fourth quarter, and they, they came up with the plays they needed to on both sides of the ball to get the win. When we heard from Kirby after the game, he was about as happy as we'd heard from him all season at a post-game press conference. He knows that the team has to go through that adversity to build that championship mentality that they need to win the championship. It's just whether or not that will actually forge them into diamonds or if they'll burst under the pressure. Yeah, I, I mean, the last thing I want to say is that I do think this game is not indicative of the team that Georgia is. I, I believe fully that they will bounce back from this. They're going to be in the SEC East conversation till the end at worst. They're going to find a way to win most of their games, if not all of them. And the team that Georgia is on October 1st is not the team that Georgia will be come December and come the SEC championship game. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, John. It's a pleasure to be here, Stu. Welcome to the show part. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what you think Georgia's response is going to look like coming off two games where, at least from our angle, it looks like they underperformed. Do you think Georgia is going to come out flat again, or do you think they're going to come out strong this week? Honestly, I'd be surprised if Georgia just came out flat again because I couldn't remember when uh, under the Kirby Smart era whenever um, if Georgia ever came out three straight games just looking flat. I think it definitely helps to have a home game against Auburn this week. I think it's going to be a really good environment at Samford, and I think that should kind of, you know, it's their SEC home opener, so it should kind of kind of motivate the team a little bit. And I think, I think the key is really just going to come down to how quick of a start the offense can get off to. You know, if they can play like they did in that fourth quarter where they're efficient in the red zone and they move the ball, I think, you know, the Auburn matchup could be a layup. But if they, you know, come out and struggle if on their, you know, deep shots and – they can't get Brock Bowers involved in the offense, and if Lad's still struggling, then I think I think that's where you kind of see you know Georgia settling for field goals and keeping Auburn in the game. Yeah, I feel the same way about this. Basically, is like they're gonna have the fans behind them. I think Sanford's gonna be in a a great place on Saturday at three thirty. But the fans, I don't know. I was at the Kent State game, and it got a little bit antsy there for a while, and suddenly the fans are out of the game. And I think Georgia can't allow that to happen. They need to ride the wave of that energy and come out and like take control of this game because that's what you would expect out of this Georgia team. And they need to show that they are still one of the top teams in the nation. And I think they're going to. I think they're going to come out and have like more of a South Carolina-esque performance than a Missouri-esque performance. And I do feel like getting Brock Bowers the ball early is like the, he's the engine for this offense. I think it's just becoming clear week by week that he is the most important player on Georgia's offense by a long shot, pretty much. Maybe Stetson Bennett, just because he's the quarterback and it's so much more important than anything else. But I want to see Brock and I want to see Darnell on the field at the same time. They were doing this thing where they were rotating one in, and I think you go with your best personnel and you play both of those guys. It gives you more versatility. It gives you two awesome weapons that can block and catch the ball, and I think that's just a key to this offense. Yeah, I mean, I think it was surprising that Brock Bowers didn't really get a touch until the second quarter. I think you could see more of kind of using him in the jet sweep motion. He does really well on those type of plays, so I'd expect some of that in the first quarter. And I think Darnell had a lot of big plays in that second half, and I think he needs to be on the field more too just because he's another explosive option and big target out there for Stetson. 
and you know it just helps the offense when you know you have a guy you can just throw the ball to and he can go get it so I think I think I would definitely expect both of them to be out there together especially with you know the receivers are still struggling I think those are the kind of surefire targets that the offense needs yeah and then so one of the things we've been talking about all season has been this red zone offense problem that they have and to me if you're down there inside the five-yard line and you run a play without Darnell Washington on the field, I don't know what you're thinking. Because even if you're not – A, he's one of their best blockers. B, if you split him out, he's going to garner two people because you can't just leave him on a corner without a safety over the top. And then suddenly everything else is more open. So I don't understand the thought process behind not having your six, seven, two 270-pound guy in the game when you're down near the goal line. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit on it well. I think when you're in the red zone, Darnell just has such versatility in that he can be one of your best kind of edge uh, blockers for the run game if you want to run it down there. And then, you know, you could kind of go with that play action or just split him out wide, and he's a big target for Stetson. I think even Brock Bowers in that sense, I think I think if Georgia wants to improve their red zone efficiency, they need to target their tight ends more in the red zone because I think no wide receiver has really stepped up since A.D. Mitchell has gotten hurt, and I think... I think the size mismatch at tight end is just such a unique opportunity for Georgia. They really need to exploit that more. So one of Auburn's best players on offense is running back Tank Bigsby, who many thought was going to transfer out at the end of last season. But he stuck around, and he presents probably the best running back Georgia has faced to this point in the season. And they're coming off a subpar performance against Missouri in the run defense and against Kent State, I would say. They weren't up to snuff. How do you see that matchup playing out, and do you think that Tank Bixby is going to find a lot of success against Georgia? Yeah, so I mean, I think this is the matchup where we're going to figure out kind of where the rush defense is at this point in the season. I think it's going to be the best, one of the best running backs they're going to play all year, and you know, they're coming off a really just flat-out bad performance against Missouri where they got dominated. I mean, Missouri had 82 rushing yards in the first half that really helped them jump out to that 16-6 lead, and I think if Auburn's going to stick around in this game, it's going to be with using Tank Bigsby. And I think if Georgia's D-line and linebackers, if they can't they can't stop him, I think that's just going to be a clear trend for the rest of the season is that, you know, with the players they lost to the NFL, I think the rush defense is going to be a problem for them, especially for other teams down the road. Yeah, I mean, they Kirby was asked post-game about what he saw basically in the first half about how they came out, and he... He said it in an explicit way about how they kind of basically got dominated on the front lines. And I think that's going to be a big focus for them this week in practice. And I think the D-line is going to come out wanting to prove itself. I believe in this linebacking core still. I think Jamon Dumas-Johnson continues to show that he is a leader for this defense, which I think is, is an awesome thing to see for Georgia, considering the guys they lost. And I think they're going to be rounded into shape this week, even without Jalen Carter, and they're going to impress us against Tank Bigsby yeah I mean I think I think not having Jalen Carter is going to be a big factor in the game but you know if they can play connected that's something Kirby preaches a lot and if they can stop the run against Auburn and prove that you know they can stop one of the better backs in the SEC I think that kind of bring you know brings Georgia fans kind of a piece in, in their mind and that you know the rush defense isn't a huge concern for them going forward I think in general this week's game is like if you're a Georgia fan you want this to be like you get your mojo back kind of game. It needs to be like everyone needs to regain their confidence. I mean, the biggest example is Lad McConkey, who like it seems to have the yips right now. But the team as a whole just needs to play like the team that we saw for those first few games and 
that we've come to expect from a Kirby Smart coach team. And I think that goes for the D-line, that goes for the O-line, that goes for pretty much the whole team. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Georgia fans are just anxious to see, you know, which version of this team shows up. And you touched on Oregon and South Carolina. They were just flat-out dominant, especially in offense. And then they've kind of cooled off, even though they still have all the pieces there. So it's, I think Georgia fans are just waiting to see which version of this team comes out and kind of their execution. I think an area where Georgia should feel good coming into this game is they get to play against Robbie Ashford, who doesn't have a lot of experience. He had some good moments against LSU. He threw for over 300 yards and had a couple big plays, but I think Georgia will be looking forward to sending a lot of confusing looks at him with an experienced group on defense, and it's a good get-right game for Keely Ringo and that back end. I mean, I think Malachi Starks and Chris Smith still played well, but Smith had a dropped pick. Malachi had one that could have been a pick. It was Oregon-ish, where it would have been an awesome play, but he could have made it, and I think... We're going to see some turnovers from the Georgia defense this week, and they're going to make those plays where they didn't against Missouri. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great matchup for that Georgia D just because they have a really inexperienced quarterback. You know, Sanford's going to be rocking. It's going to be a tough road environment for Ashford, and I think I think Georgia, just if they can play connected and just, you know, bring the pressure, pressure on him early, just not let him, you know, sit in the pocket. And he's a relatively mobile quarterback too, but they can just bring get get the pressure to him and bring him down, you know, get sacks. I think that's really going to help the defense and just help Georgia take control of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think everything we're saying goes back to one thing, and John was talking about it too, that, you know, it's a momentum game, and Georgia needs to seize the momentum this week. You can't be on the back foot at the end of the first half if you want to be a national champion or even a contender for a national champion. So Georgia needs to come out on Saturday and seize this moment. So last thing, looking at this game, I want a prediction from you for the score, and I want to hear one player that you think has a really standout performance. So my prediction for the game is going to be Georgia wins 34-10, and then kind of standout performance, I'm going with Ladd McConkey finally writes the ship. You know, he had a big breakout game last year against Auburn, I think he's going to have one uh, on Saturday. All right, I think Georgia 38, Auburn 13. And I have Kendall Milton having a big performance this week. I think Georgia's going to want to establish the run early because they were able to do it so successfully late against Missouri. And I think that they will look to go to that more than they'll look to go to the passing game, maybe early, even though obviously the passing game is a big part of the offense too. Thanks for coming on the show, Parth. Yep, it's always a pleasure, Stu. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm Stuart Steele. You can find other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on redandblack.com. For even more Georgia football coverage, visit redandblack.com slash gameday. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.